0: And I just I I think that's just that's such an important text when we're talking about dispensationalism, which has always taught there are two peoples of God. And this is a way of saying, no, those old those Old Testament people of God, God does not want them to be perfected, to receive the fullness of the promises, except with us, the new covenant people. He wants us together to receive it because it's the same Christ that was has been promised and ministered to us all along.
1: Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything.
2: Real quick before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the book of Judges.
1: Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And we are on a season three promises and fulfillments episode. This is episode 24, but it's chapter 25, dispensationalism. By Dr. Michael Glotto, and it is out of the Covenant Theology book published by Crossway, written by Reformed Theological Seminary staff faculty. But this episode, we actually have a special repeat guest on to help us through this topic. It's Dr. David Van Drunen, so we'll have him on here in a, in a second and introduce him. Uh, just as a reminder on a few show notes, there is a link to Crossway as the publisher of this book you can click that, get this book, follow along with us. There's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. We are in a group of other Reformed podcasts that have like-minded doctrine and message. So if you like our show, you could probably enjoy those shows as well. There's also a link to find a local Reformed church near you. So you click that link, and it'll take you to a site where you type in your zip code, and there'll be uh, one of a few napark churches that you can choose from, and they'll be the closest one to you to find home. And so uh, we will jump into this episode and have uh, Dr. Van Drunen talk about dispensationalism. And how are you? I am pretty well,
0: thank you. How about you? Yeah,
2: we're <laughs> we're doing good. We were we were just talking pre-recording. We had you on. We recorded. I mean, it, it published a little bit um, less than a year ago, but we had you on. The day after the election last year. So it's it's been quite a little while, though. I mean, it, people don't know this, but I'm, I'm in your class right now. So this is it's a it's a first episode we've ever had with a professor who I'm currently still in the class with. Either I've, we've had somebody oh. on. So it's either. Either I do really well and you're like, oh, he's a good student, or I do really bad, and you're like, I'm, I'm not sure yeah.
0: I'm this guy. Well, the only thing I can say so far is that you're not only in the class, but you sit in the front row. <laughs> that's right. Right that's in front of me. Yep. So there's no excuse for not uh not getting a good grade. You're That's right. You're, there's there's you're right no hiding.
2: It. That's that's kind of why I do it. So I can't hide mm. and I can't goof
1: off. This this episode is graded. So just remember that, Peter. Oh, it. <laughs> I, was, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for a grade. Yeah, maybe extra credit. We'll see yeah, we'll we'll talk later about doing this episode maybe
2: instead of a paper. Who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> He's not saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, so... well, cool. And we 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 um we asked Dr. Van Drunen on kind of in the email that we had. So part mm-hmm. of his course is soteriology and eschatology. And some of you guys may know there's there's kind of a, a link theologically structurally with some dispensational thought, pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial, with kind of the quote-unquote like corresponding eschatological or just like kind of end times structures. So just just in general, kind of getting into this. Um, I mean, you you read the chapter this morning, you, you kind of have some understanding of obviously eschatology and, and dispensationalism, but overall. Uh, within this, I mean, what do you think of this chapter? Did it cover it well? Is there is there anything that maybe you would add to it or maybe nuance a little bit?
0: Oh, uh, I I think it was a good chapter. Um, I don't know the author, uh, so uh, I was I was glad to be able to uh, read something from him. Um, you know, it's it's a complex topic. Yeah. I think you know some ways you were alluding to that. Um, you know, there are actually a couple of my di- different courses where I, I get into some of these, mm-hmm. these issues. There are obviously, uh, there are issues regarding, you know, I mean, basic hermeneutical issues, you know, how, how do we read the old Testament? What's the purpose of the old Testament? Yeah. Um, how do we read prophets, uh, Pro- old Testament prophetical texts? Uh, how do we understand the relation of old Testament to new Testament, um so just i mean the basic ideas of how we read scripture uh, how we see scripture there's biblical story developing you might say There are eschatological issues i mean there are also uh political issues Mm. um yeah and uh, you know the the chapter uh addresses those uh issues a little bit you know there's uh it, it's, it's kind of a, it, it's a strange thing in a way, but because uh, dispensationalism believes uh, that there's this future for Israel, um, not a future for Israel by coming to the gospel of Jesus Christ and entering the current church, but this future, this distant future for Israel in which they will be re- re-established in the promised land and have a new temple and Uh, I think because of that, there has, there's been this real interest in the current state of Israel, and it's really affected the way dispensationalists look at Middle Eastern politics, Hmm. Um, and so there are just uh, so many different areas of thought that are uh, connected with that, so uh, I think the chapter uh, does a good job in getting into some of those various issues. It it really can't get into any of those issues in great depth, uh, but that's just, the nature of dealing with, uh, with a topic like this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us uh, growing up as a default way of understanding and thinking about this stuff, whether we knew this term dispensationalism or not, this was kind of our default understanding, at least for me growing up outside the uh, Reformed Church, just kind of these, this way of thinking was kind of like in the water of the modern, of the modern, uh, way that we think is, you know, in, in America and, and the church and, and,
0: you know, the,
1: I don't know if you agree with that or if that's just something that I experienced, but yeah, it's the same here.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably right. Uh, it, it's not my, my own experience. Uh, nice. I, I grew up, uh, in a reformed church and I, boy, I don't know when I first heard the term dispensationalism, but I, it was not when I was young. Um, and so okay, I man. was, You know, I think I was I was spared um, a lot of it, (laughs) uh, to be honest. And and so I think it's always for me, uh, you know, as I have obviously tried to understand what dispensationalism is and, uh, you know, tried to get a good feel of the exegetical hermeneutical issues that are uh, involved. I've always I've always really felt like a foreigner Uh, and I've always had a lot of students who have come into Westminster, California who have been in dispensationalist circles, uh, at some point in their lives. And I always feel like they have an advantage, uh, 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 over me because they've sort of absorbed some of this, uh, a lot of this, uh, and sort of are just, th- this is sort of the way they were trained to think about scripture. Um, but I think you're right that, that even a lot of American evangelicals who haven't who who perhaps weren't in hardcore dispensationalist churches or who never heard that, 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 that title, I think they did pick up a lot of the ideas because it certainly has been a very, very influential uh, movement within American evangelicalism. And you just think about how important some institutions like Moody Bible Institute and Dallas Seminary have been uh, uh, for American evangelicalism. And so, uh, even a lot of non dispensationalists have been influenced by uh, by people in those in, uh, institutions.
2: Yeah, and so kind of digging deeper into dispensationalism, we'll, we'll get kind of further into this topic too. So he uh, and there's there's kind of nuances of these approaches, but he he kind of labels three different approaches to dispensationalism. And generally speaking, kind of broad brush, there's three different approaches to dispensationalism or kind of end time stuff. Uh, but if you if you can talk about and this is kind of in, in Dr. Glotto's or or Glotto's beginning. So what what is like when he's talking about dispensational, like what is that like referred to? Is there like is there different ways of um, distinguishing different types of dispensationalism? So like how how would you help describe that?
0: Yeah, I you know sometimes we will hear about classical dispensationalism, and uh, I still think that that's probably the. If, if someone asks you what is dispensationalism, you probably need to explain what a kind of a classical form is. And um, basically, and we can go into more details about any of this if you want, but the basic idea is uh, it divides up the uh, biblical history into these so-called dispensations. And each of these dispensations, according to dispensationalism, uh, is a very different thing. They don't build on each other as biblical history moves along. There's sort of these really distinct ways in which God uh, dealt with his people at a certain time, uh, and that goes up right into the present. And really, the uh, perhaps the heart of this, uh, where it becomes really, really important, is in classical dispensationalism, the claim is that uh, the Old Testament never prophesied. It never said anything about the current time of the church. Um, Israel was not in any way sort of a type of the church. Uh, the Old Testament didn't prophesy uh, uh, about the church. The promises of the Old Testament are not fulfilled in the church. Uh, Jesus came. He offered the kingdom to, to Israel. They rejected it. And so God, in a sense, put history on, a whole, on, on hold and establish this really brand new thing, this church made up of Gentiles. And this church will continue until Jesus comes in the rapture. Um, And I'm going to kind of shorten the story here. And then, you know, a little while later, Jesus will uh, come and establish the millennial kingdom, this thousand year reign on earth uh, in which he uh re-establishes israel and israel again gets the land they get their temple back and that's when all these old testament promises are actually fulfilled Hmm. and so that's classical dispensationalism now at at the toward the end of the 20th century there were a number of influential dispensationalist theologians who really rethought some of this and their their revisions have uh come to be called progressive dispensationalism, uh, which is probably kind of unfortunate uh, in mm-hmm. light of what progressivism tends no, to mean no. now. Uh, it's not about left-wing politics. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really progressive uh, in the sense that it, um, it recognizes a certain element of progress in redemptive history, that in some way, one dispensation follows from the other in a kind of a coherent unified plan uh, of God, <laughs> excuse me. And um, these progressive uh, dispensationalists, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they've, they've argued that uh, actually uh, elements of the Abrahamic covenant and Davidic covenant are actually fulfilled in this New Testament era, this, this, this time of the church, that there were things said about the church uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and so, in that sense, sort of, I think, definitely stepping closer to, to what we would think of as a reformed covenant theology, but it's still not reformed covenant theology, uh, and they they still retain this idea of of a future for Israel in the land, and basically, still this idea that there are two peoples of God. There's a there's a Gentile people of God, and there's a Jewish people uh, of of God. So. Uh, i think a, a, as a basic overview i think you can you can uh, it might be helpful to, to think in terms of classical and progressive um, and you know uh, you would probably have to talk to someone within the movement to get a better yeah. idea about how exactly yeah. that plays out day by day in yeah, particular yeah. churches and particular institutions mm-hmm.
1: would you say um general very generally speaking dispensationalism is the rival to covenant theology
2: yeah quote unquote
0: Um, you know, I think it definitely, it, it functions that way for a lot of people. Hmm. Um, you know, I, for someone like me who didn't grow up, um, really knowing about dispensationalism or being in those circles, I've never really felt like this is sort of the big rival to the way I think about the big story of scripture. Um, Hmm. And sometimes, to be honest, sometimes I've been a little frustrated. I've in in talking to people about some of our internal reformed debates about covenant theology, and we have plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, that <laughs> sometimes I've sort of realized that the way people are thinking, people who I'm talking about or maybe even debating about with these things, that they're thinking in it's it's basically all covenant versus dispensationalism. That's like mm. the world that they're living in. I actually. I don't like to think in those terms. That's not the natural way that I think. And maybe just because I've just, I've read a lot more of other kinds of theology than I have of dispensationalism. It's just not the world that I live in. And um, so, but I do think for a lot of people for I I think it's not just here in the United States. I think in a lot of places in the world, because dispensationalism has gone, it's, it's gone throughout the world. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: They had, you know, missionaries go in lots and lots of different places so i do think it is the case that in what you might call a broad even the evangelical world broadly speaking that these are are very often kind of the main options that people that people are presented with and that they have to wrestle with
2: yeah Yeah. you you got into it a little bit too kind of talking about that like little parenthesis this little time that kind of we're in now so in terms of how dispensationalism reads a lot of the promises to Israel and then kind of the, what, like what, like what's the church doing here? Um, Glodo or professor Glodo in his chapter makes a deep, big deal about kind of this hermeneutical like hurdle that people go over. How related is Israel and the church? Are they two separate institutions? Are they correlated in some way? And so how would you describe kind of how he describes how dispensationalism Sees these two kind of in distinguishing from covenant theology, how we uh, understand Israel and the church, and then how covenant theology has been improperly taken in some ways to subsume Israel within mm. the church.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm. I don't think I'm going to really make a comment sort of on the chapter itself. I think I'll. Uh, yeah. Address what you're saying, but I. I don't want to. Feel like I'm interpreting the chapter which I have just read one so I yeah I, I want to be careful I I'm, I'm not trying to just describe what's there yeah there's um yeah the the way that Reformed Covenant theology has traditionally understood and of course again there are different some different versions within Reformed Covenant theology but I think as I think it's fair to say in general Reformed Covenant theology has seen that uh, Israel was the old covenant people of God, the old covenant church. These are our, our forebears in the faith and that the new covenant church is the fulfillment of all those promises to Israel of old. Uh, and that we are one people of God. Uh, we are people of Gentile and Jew together. Um, for, for dispensationalism there are two separate peoples of god with sort of these two separate kind of plans in which god brings them in and um deals uh with them um you know there there have been i, I think this is what you're asking if i if, if you're not asking this then i apologize and you can clarify but the um there, there have been certain uh, accusations uh by dispensationalists against reform that yeah. there's you know this um Kind of a um, replacement theology, a supersessionist yeah. theology, which is, um, I I've, I've, I've found those sorts of terms to be kind of frustrating, uh, frankly. But it, it's, it, it's kind of this idea that um, God just kind of forgets about Israel. Um, uh, God made all these promises to Israel and he kind of just, well, tossed those out, and the church just kind of replaces Israel. Um, it supersedes Israel uh, in, in, in God's plan. And I think one of the one of the reasons why a lot of people have kind of picked up on that that supersessionist kind of language. It's not just a covenant and dispensationalist theology debate, but you hear this in a lot of broader uh, theological talk as well. That I think people, especially since World War II and the Holocaust, people are very mm-hmm. sensitive about. You know this uh, sort of an anti-Semitic kind of Christianity, which yeah. they well might be. Right, there's been plenty of anti-Semitism in Christian history. Yeah, and so I, I, I think it's important for us who are who are Reformed Covenant theologians uh, to explain. No, this is this is um, when we deny that they return to the land and have their kind of old covenant things again it's not because of any anti-semitism it's not because we think God's promises some to Israel somehow failed or that God just kind of set them aside to do something else something better that actually uh, you know we, we we believe that the church of Jesus Christ is for Jews and Gentiles alike uh, that this is that actually the promises to Israel are fulfilled more gloriously in the church and the coming new creation than, you know, this kind of this dream of a Jewish millennium kingdom that's coming in the future. And, um, you know, the, the, the idea that it's, uh, I think in this in this chapter, there, there, I, I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I I remember he 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 put it nicely that, um, you know, something to the effect that if you know there's, how did he put it? Something like if there's a promise of of a thousand dollars and it was oh yeah, it, you it, get a two hundred thousand dollars, yeah, and it would hardly yeah yeah, it would hardly be the fact that yeah. you know, that first promise was not actually fulfilled. Yeah, those promises are fulfilled. It's just more, it's just better. It's, it's, it's more glorious uh, than, um, than what we would find if God reestablished old covenant Israel uh, in Palestine.
2: Yeah, 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 it was something like, yeah, if we were promising $1,000, but then we got a million bucks credited to our account, are we really going to be mad that the $1,000 wasn't given to us? Are we like, oh my gosh, we have a million bucks in our
0: account. This <sighs> is so much better yeah there's uh you'll you'll probably hear this story in class next week uh, um but um my my predecessor teaching systematic theology at westminster california was uh bob strimple yeah and uh he he used this analogy i'm probably not going to get it quite exactly right either uh but it was something along the same lines that basically if you know like a like a parent uh, a father promises his child, you know, a new set of wheels or something like that for mm-hmm. a 16th birthday. And, you know, this kid thinks, oh, I'm going to get a new bike, you know, and, you know, and, you know, 16th birthday rolls around and there's a new Ferrari sitting in the garage. It's like, oh, <laughs> dad, you didn't get me a bike. Like, no, you, you didn't think that way. You know, no. when, when God gives you so much more than you Unless you really don't like Ferraris for some reason, I, I suppose. Yeah, I'm a Lamborghini guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you're, yeah, you're not an Italian car guy. You wanna, you wanna American muscle. <laughs> so,
1: so um, no, this is good. This is good. I, I really like how you're unpacking this. Um, so, thank you. But um, I also wanted to ask, going back to some of the basics, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how recent dispensationalism has come to the scene. Could you clarify that, like its beginning origins, um and maybe some key figures of how it started? I know the Moody Institute was kind of like one of the first places to put it on the map, but was am I right that it, it started actually in like the 19th century?
0: Is that right? Uh yes, that's right. Um uh, uh John Darby, uh and an Englishman, I think it was an Englishman, he uh it's kind of credited with the uh the, um the the orange uh, origins of it and uh, it certainly spread very quickly to the United States um one of the most important definitely one of the most important American figures in promoting it was uh uh C. I. Schofield mm-hmm. uh, who wrote his famous reference Bible which got into the hands of so many people and so mm-hmm. there's so many people who learn to read the Bible through, through these dispensationalist glasses that Schofield uh, produced. And yeah, uh, uh, certainly Moody Bible Institute uh, uh, became very important. I mean, in part because of uh, uh, Dwight L. Moody, uh, who was uh, a very prominent evangelist who embraced um, this way of thinking. And so, yeah, I mean, Moody Bible Institute, I'm I'm from Chicago, and I just even though I, I didn't grow up knowing what dispensationalism was, we all knew what Moody Bible Institute mm-hmm. was. It was just it was a very prominent place um, in the, in the Chicago area, and then of course it it has uh, you know it has had all sorts of influence. Um, I mentioned Dallas Seminary earlier. I mean that mm-hmm. is um, I think it's fair to say that that has probably probably been uh, the theological center of dispensationalism at least for for much of the 20th century. Uh, So that's certainly uh, another uh, important institution. But I mean, there are a lot of other colleges and seminaries that have, uh, to one degree or another, uh, embraced this.
2: Yeah. um, And so kind of grounding this biblically, theologically, so some of these prominent figures and how they're reading. So a lot of it goes to kind of Old Testament covenants, Old Testament prophets. So how are... How generally speaking, kind of premillennial, postmillennial, whatever they may, may be, or dispensationalists in general, how, how in general are they reading the promises given in these covenants or given in the prophets? Like, what when a prophet or Isaiah or Jeremiah, when he's talking about Israel, he's talking about this abundance, how in general are they reading this that maybe differs a little bit from um, how we would as covenant theologians?
0: Yeah. Well, if I could just make a general hermeneutical point to begin, which I, yeah. I, I think is, is, is really important. Um, two things actually, but they're very related. Yeah. Uh, one is, you know, I, I think it's really important that we recognize that the New Testament is the later and clearer revelation of God. Right? Mm. Both Old and New Testament are the word of God. They're mutually illuminating, of course, but as the book of Hebrews opens, right? That you know, in the past, God spoke in many times, many places. In these last days, he's spoken by his son. There is, this is the climactic revelation of God. And it clarifies things from the Old Testament. The New Testament teaches us how to read the Old Testament. At least that's what we believe as covenant theologians. And I think, you know, I, I, I could, I think we could easily defend that position. Uh, so I, I think this is, what, what, to answer your question, Okay, let me make my other hermeneutical point, and then I'll come back to your question. So the other point is, you know, we have this general hermeneutical rule that the more clear text of scripture should interpret the less clear parts of of scripture. And that's really important here because a lot of the dispensationalist scheme has, it's been drawn out of certain texts in Daniel and a, a revelation these apocalyptic books with this imagery and these symbolic numbers. And f- from, from a reform perspective, I say, well, uh, those are those are difficult texts, those are mysterious texts, those are really difficult texts to read. But we have so many statements, you know, very straightforward, clear statements by Jesus in the gospels, by Paul in his epistles, by Peter in, in uh, his epistles. Laying out what's going to happen in the last times, or just you know, how to read, uh, how to how to interpret scripture. And um, I think in part, dispensationalism doesn't follow those hermeneutical principles. Um, it it doesn't, and if, of course, I'm I'm speaking as a reformed person here, but in my judgment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, they have let a certain kind of reading of the old testament trump pretty clear statements in the new testament um and they've let a certain very obscure text in daniel or revelation uh kind of trump very clear straightforward statements uh in say uh, paul or peter so i think with that in mind we can kind of go back to your question so uh dispensationalists read these prophecies um in the Old Testament and yeah you know, these days of abundance that are coming you know days in which um, Israel again will um, you know they'll be prospering in their land, they'll be triumphant over their enemies they'll be offering up sacrifices at the temple you know the Davidic king will again be on his throne. So you got all of these things and so they say, well look these are um, these have to be fulfilled literally and that's been a real big emphasis in uh, dispensationalism. And so, well, clearly they're not being literally fulfilled now in the church. Um, and so we're, we're looking forward to a day when they will be fulfilled literally, and that's what this millennial kingdom is. Hmm. Uh, for, for Reformed covenant theologians, read these texts and say, well, okay, they say these things, but uh, we, we want to be sure that we read these texts the way the New Testament trains us to read these texts. And what the New Testament, how it instructs us is to understand that these things actually are fulfilled in the coming of Christ, in the establishment of the church, and ultimately in the new creation. And so we can go, you know, one one thing by another, uh, whether it's the land, the temple, um, the city of Jerusalem, um, uh, the, the throne of David. And the New Testament addresses every single one of those things. And it it trains us to see them as fulfilled in Christ and his church and his uh, ultimately the um, new creation. So I, I think that's I think that's just a kind of a basic overview of, of, hmm. of how these prophecies are read. And it comes down to, I think, some basic hermeneutical issues.
1: Yeah, that's Which, helpful. That makes a lot of sense. And that it it's in no way saying uh all three of us would agree, it's no way saying that dispensationalists aren't Christian. Um they're definitely brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, we but, share
2: a lot of I mean found like like Dr. Like uh I think he's I'm not sure if he's a doctorate or if he's Professor Gloto, but he talks yeah. about inspiration of scripture, um yeah. kind of this this pull back from um, liberalism or kind of progressive theology and, and really kind of grounding in the word of God. So this, like, like, yeah, like you said, Nick, there's, there's a lot we share in common though. We have hermeneutical differences on, on how to read some of these things. Sure.
1: Yeah. And, and kind of was a going to is um, I think where we're seeing is, is, is reformed. We see a lot of the old, the old scriptures fulfilled in Christ. It's very direct with the, with the people that are the head of each of these covenant of grace, uh, administrations, right? That's what, how we put our language in and they point towards Christ being the bigger, better fulfillment of that individual. And, uh, and what that covenant administration was pointing to and dispensationalism. I think what I'm hearing is they're not quite seeing a direct, um, translation of fulfillment in Christ. And they're kind of just staying in the old Testament and trying to make the old Testament uh, t- translate it to today's terms. And they're not really seeing how that's the, the, that, that, um, covenant is maybe fulfilled in Christ.
0: Yeah. I think the whole, the whole terminology, terminology of fulfillment is really important. Um, hmm. uh, uh, yeah. I mean, is, is Israel, uh, yeah where are the promises fulfilled uh, yeah. where are the purposes of israel realized and that's just a very fundamental difference for dispensationalists it it it, it won't be until um that future millennial kingdom for for covenant theologians it is it's right now uh, that these things are uh, are already being fulfilled um so yeah i mean it's I think that 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 whole idea of fulfillment and what we mean by that is is indeed yeah, very important. Yeah. yeah, I think. Go for it.
1: That that uh yeah you you helped clarify kind of what I was jumbling. Hopefully, I didn't <laughs> lose the audience. Uh, but yeah, w- what you're you, saying. You channel too. our
2: audience though. That's that's the thing. They're they're thinking uh, these questions, and you're you're channeling the inner audience,
1: <laughs> struggling with me in my brain. Exactly. I get it. I get it. But uh, yep. Dr. Glotto. Um, he or he professor glotto at the end of his chapter very last sentence i think he's unpacking what you were saying dr vanger and i was trying to allude to is says the christian hope of the not yet grounded in the already let us look not to current events but to the sky for christ appearing again in order to find grace to preserve in this not yet time in such a way that our ethical life manifests is now rain. So yeah. the already and not yet kind of way we look at things is reformed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to put thoughts into the the author's mind here. Sure. But, I, but I think what I'm going to say is is very much along the lines of what he was getting at is, yeah, the, the, the whole term eschatology is interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it sort of means... Literally, the study of the last things, um, and I think for for Reformed Reformed Covenant theology, uh, we believe that the end things are already present in a very important way. That we already are citizens of heaven. We already have the Spirit as a down payment, the first fruits. Uh, yeah. That 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 our worship as the as the church is participating in a mysterious way in the worship of heaven. I mean, these are just wonderful things that that I think. Um, to the extent we're not thinking about these things, we need to be focused on these things. It's, it's just one of the great blessings uh, of our new covenant uh, Christian life. And so that, that's really what we mean by this already, not yet. Already we are participating in the last things, mm-hmm. um, even though we are awaiting the, this final uh, realization of it. I think for it's dispensationalists can't look at things in quite the same way because. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which you know the the uh, y- you need to have the millennial kingdom, You need to have the reestablishment of Israel to really get to the last things, right? And it's there's a sense in which we as the New Testament Church are cut off from those things. We don't; those promises are not for us. We don't have a share in that future earthly millennial kingdom, uh, and. So you sort of have this, you know, because there's like these two plans, this Gentile church plan, and there's this Jewish Israel plan, um, there isn't the same sense of already we have this participation in the eschatological things. Mm. And there's a sense of which for dispensationalism, eschatology is, it's just still future, right? It's just mm. something that still has to happen. Yeah. For us, it's already happening. And that's that's a really exciting thing.
2: Well, that's a that's a perfect tee up for my last question, which is on the last things. So if you like that little, <laughs> that little, okay. that little pun, my attempt at a dad joke, even though I'm not a dad. Um, so with with this and kind of a dispensational, indistinguished from a covenantal um, understanding of scripture, how how do these affect our understanding of last things, of of end times, of um, are we living in the already not yet? Are we living in these end times? Are we still waiting for a future kingdom? So, how, <clears throat> how do we interpret these promises in the Old Testament? Are they for us? Are they for us in the church? Are they for us in a future time? Um, and then, kind of what well, we've had an episode on before with Dr. Beale, kind of as seeing things through kind of an amillennial perspective, how, how do these affect us today versus thinking, oh, yeah, the end times are still kind of a, a far ways off?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think for, I think generally speaking from a reformed covenantal perspective, and, and, and I'm saying this, especially from an all millennial perspective. Um, yeah, there, I think we would say that the, 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 promises to Israel, uh, that we find in the old Testament that were given to Israel in the old Testament that they, I would say that they were fulfilled, you know, they began to be fulfilled in Christ's first coming, uh, they they continue to be fulfilled now as the gospel goes forward and calls people in from all nations, and they they will be completely fulfilled in every respect when Jesus returns and the new creation is is revealed. Uh, and so and I think in part what I was saying um, a moment ago with respect to we're already we already have a share in those last things. That's part of the reason why we would say that. These promises, these eschatological promises are already being fulfilled. It's not just something in the future that, yeah, someday these will be fulfilled. No, already
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the creation of a the this new covenant people of God uh, who already have access to the heavenly temple, who are under the true Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Already these, these promises are, are being fulfilled. So um, you know, I think this, it, it really fits well, uh, with an, uh, an millennial eschatology, uh, certainly some reformed covenant theologians, uh, are, uh, post millennialist. Yep. yep. Um, and I do think, I, I don't think that's what you want to talk about here, but I mean, it is mm-hmm. I, that, that does get into some issues. I, I, mm-hmm. I think there's, I think post, uh, post-millennialism also has some problems from my perspective in, um, Kind of putting off the eschaton or looking to it uh, there has to be some sort of golden age that we're getting to here on this earth before we can really get to the fulfillment of the promise
2: yeah which is reading some of those promises in the old testament prophets they're still coming but they're still before the end that's times right.
0: yeah that's right that's exactly right
1: yeah that's helpful i don't i don't th- i know we only have a few minutes left but i don't think we got a chance to explain just for clarity to the audience I'm sure they're really curious what the breakdown of – I think there's about seven dispensations that they talk about. Yeah, quite just, a bit, re- yeah. just really quickly, just uh, in the spirit of us being really clear in our uh, covenants in this book, uh, the works and then the, administ- the grace administrations and whatnot, can we quickly list out the about seven dispensations
2: yeah, or maybe like how they see those covenants maybe differently than we see those covenants like the sure. obedience breaking um versus kind of uh, under that covenant of grace heading uh,
0: yeah well yeah let's see i mean it's you know you've got sort of uh un- under adam you've got like noah abraham israel under moses right and then you've got david uh, and then uh the new covenant and then you've obviously got this future uh millennial kingdom how many how many was that it's That's, you know, that's basically how it breaks down. And I mean, in some ways you have to say that, that makes sense. I mean, there are distinctions in how God dealt with his people through those times. And so it's not as if this is totally crazy. I mean, they're, they're obviously onto something uh, uh, with that. And so there, there are some different terms that they would use. Like for example, um, Abraham's dispensation was like the dispensation of promise and, um, the dispensation of Israel under Moses was dispensation of law. And so you, you have, you have certain, and so uh, for uh, under Abraham, God gave these promises, and it was uh, they were they were unconditional promises. And so that's how uh, that's how God dealt with them there. And then um, actually, the, the uh, chapter uh, discusses this uh, a bit, that there are some dispensationalists who have said, you know, that, that Israel never should have rejected, you know, they never should have taken the law, that, that God offered yeah. the law yeah. as this, you know, brand new way. And they kind of turned their back on this, you know, the, 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 the dispensation of promise under Abraham. And that was really foolish. Um, and so now, now God dealt, dealt with them according to law. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of how it breaks down. And I think there's, you know, one, um, I'm not, not sure if you wanted to uh, explore this, Nick, but I mean, there's the, you know, th- there's been some ambiguity in dispensationalism over, are there di- actually different ways of salvation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly a lot of dispensationalists have, have talked as if that's, that's, the, that's the case, you know, mm-hmm. that this dispensation of law, for example, really was a different way of salvation. And there are other dispensationalists that, said, no, 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 we, we, we really don't want to say that. And so I think there's been some ambiguity within their circles about about how exactly to 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 answer that question. Yeah.
1: And
2: I I feel like that kind of comes across.
1: Maybe
2: they. So. Go for it.
1: Oh, sorry. I I think so. Like how we think of is um, grace through redemptive history. God is working out through history. um, Through time. You know, same same covenant of grace, just different people during that, because uh, through that s- spread of a lot of time, where dispensationalism, it seems like it's uh, more separated, right. separate stories, separate rules, almost, yeah. it seems like, given it a place right. and a time yeah. versus one solid covenant of grace that um, started from the fall all the way till When Jesus comes back, because we believe in covenant theology of two main covenants, works and grace, and they kind of see it as a bunch of different covenants almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's right. And and that's one of the points in which dispensationalist theologians have been very, you know, very critical of Mm. covenant theology is like, no, look, there are not there isn't one unified covenant of grace throughout redemptive history. Um, there are these multiple covenants that are doing different things. And I think, right. And and obviously this gets into, this gets into some very big, serious, uh, issues of, uh, theology. Um, but I think, you know, you can, I think it's a really strong case. Uh, what, uh, reformed theology has is that yes, we find references to a Abrahamic covenant to Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, new covenant. We can talk about multiple covenants in one sense, but, there is this organic unity through all of them there's one people of God, there is one gospel promise there's one Messiah. And even as these administrations of the of this covenant, you know change through, through history it's all advancing one grand plan that God has. Mm -hmm. and that's something that dispensationalists certainly classical dispensationalists have just never been able to accept that's just Mm -hmm. they see that as just a very wrong-headed way of uh, interpreting scripture
2: yeah that's and I I think what uh, what Nick was saying because Dr. Glodo says a little bit about this but and what you're saying Dr. Van Drunen, about it kind of comes across like different salvific systems because they have this there's a covenant that God gives them. They disobey it. So he's like, Oh man, I have to, okay, I have to reset this all over yeah. again. So now, okay, maybe you can obey this one. Oh no, you've been just, be this and I have to set this one all over again versus I like how, um, Glodo ends a chapter with, with Westminster confession of faith, chapter seven, five and six, talking about that covenant of grace with multiple administrations saying you're, 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 you're going to fail this covenant, but that's because you're looking towards the one who's not going to fail the covenant. Yeah. 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 That's that very- could,
1: could you, to close this out, could you help us out on that uh, Westminster Confession of Faith? I think it's five. Um, chapter seven, uh, yeah, sections five and six. Five and six, yeah, it really helps with this. And he ends the chapter on that as well as some uh, some verses out of the uh, Bible with John twelve thirty one, Matthew 12, 6, John 2, 19, Colossians 1, 15, Matthew 327, Luke 1120. But yeah, we could focus
0: on the Westminster Confession of Faith for this.
2: Yeah, sure. kind of ending yeah, yeah, how do how do we see this multiple yeah. administrations, multiple covenants?
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can I can kind of give you a kind of a brief take on that. Yeah, I think the the uh in Westminster Confession 7.5 uh, speaks of how the covenant of grace was it differently administered in the time of the law and the time of the gospel. And what what's, what, what, what that means is it's basically a way of saying under the old covenant and under uh, the new covenant. And so yeah. it, it it's certainly not saying there was only law in the old Testament and only gospel in the, uh, the new Testament. So you can see there that it, it's dealing with, with, with a single covenant. There's a single covenant of grace, but it's administered differently. It, it, in other words, that there are, um, uh, there are some different ways that God dealt with his people. When his people were underage, uh, when, the, when the Messiah had not yet come, um, he dealt with them, as it says, with promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, uh, the Paschal or the, the Passover lamb, types and ordinances. So all these things that were, they were put into place to help the old covenant people look ahead to Christ to help them see what was coming. And it wasn't because they thought these things themselves could save, or at least, I mean, they shouldn't have thought that. Uh, the people of faith under the old covenant were looking ahead uh, and seeing that there's there's something greater coming. And then um, uh, as Westminster Confession 7.5 says, uh, they all force signified Christ to come. Um, and then uh, Westminster Confession 7.6, Uh, it says under the gospel which is a way of saying under the new covenant um when christ the substance was exhibited so basically once christ came things couldn't be the same any longer uh you can't have you're not gonna have types and shadows and all these symbolic things once christ the uh the great savior has come and it uh it speaks about how uh things are are um simpler um instead of having all of these, you know, all these, all these types and shadows and ordinances, you know, you have the preaching of the word and the administration of two sacraments. Uh, And um, as it says there, it's, it's more simple and less outward glory. Hmm. Uh, But there is held forth in them more fullness, evidence and spiritual efficacy, because Christ has come, um we have in the preaching of the word and baptism and the supper you know, they're, they're so simple mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yet we have in them much greater power more spiritual power than the old covenant saints did even though it's the same christ it's the same salvation uh that um we all share um so that's just uh, i guess uh, a little yeah. commentary on that you know let me you you want something from scripture uh if you don't mind nick i'll i'll, I'll mention a um there's a text that comes to mind that wasn't listed there at the mm-hmm. end of that chapter, but I'll just- Please, yeah, do it. Um, if, if you remember uh, Hebrews 11, of course, has- I this was just about
2: to say, we got to go to Hebrews. Okay, yeah, well,
0: there you go. Okay, so Hebrews 11, of course, uh, the, this great chapter about faith and all yeah. of these old covenant people uh, of faith. And uh, the, 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 the last two verses, uh, verses 39 and 40 uh, says, and all these, that, that is all these old, all these Old Testament people of faith Mm -hmm. all these though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Mm. And I just, I, 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 think that's just that's such an important text when we're talking about dispensationalism, which has always taught, there are two peoples of God. And this is a way of saying, no, those old, those old Testament people of God, God does not want them to be perfected to receive the fullness of the promises, except with us, the new covenant people. He wants us together to receive it because it's the same Christ that was, has been promised and ministered to us all along.
2: Love it. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to, to end this talking about dispensational thought and covenantal thought. And we share some similarities like we talked about, but there's also some kind of foundational hermeneutical assumptions that come into the text and, are we reading this like the new Testament apostles and the, the gospel writers and Jesus read the old Testament, or are we kind of reading it maybe with the newspaper on our right hand and kind of current events in our, in our mind. So um, really helpful explanation. I know this is not your, your, your uh, area of expertise, but I think it, it helped people kind of situate this text, situate this chapter and, in, in this thought and, and hopefully explain a little bit better um, towards uh, and more Christ-centered hermeneutic within the Old and New Testament. So thanks for thanks for coming on, and it's been it's been a joy having you, and um, at least I'll see you in person on Tuesday.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I enjoyed doing this, and keep up the good work. Thank cool. you. Yep, yep. Are
2: you looking for a Reformed church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reformed Church, beginning weekly on December second, which is a Thursday, at six thirty p.m. at Fourth Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you would like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at santaana_reformed at gmail.com or head to either Guilt Grace Pod or Santa Ana URC on Twitter, or find the link in the show
1: notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes.
2: Yeah, and after you rate and review, or instead of rate and review, or... Doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please
1: do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The Lord,
2: yeah, and you guys can find that <laughs> link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast's specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom
1: of god thanks so much guys we'll see you guys next
2: time